Hello and welcome to this month's episode of the Bundesliga Diary Shorts, uh, where we bring you interviews with people in and around the world of uh, the Bundesliga and German football in general. This month, I'm joined by someone who very much falls into that category. Uh, Richard here, by the way. John's obviously not with you. He's off on his holidays. I do have Mirko hanging around the studio, if he wants to say something. You're right, mate? Yeah, I'm kind of the backup rapper okay. here in the podcast. I, nice. might, I might jump in, but okay. uh, I will leave the talking to Richard. Thank you very much, mate. Um, yeah, well, you might also realise why I'm doing this when you hear who I'm interviewing. Uh, I get, I mean, his official title is Head of Communications, uh, but I and many other Union Berlin fans probably always associate him with a Saturday afternoon down the football as he is, well, for lack of a better phrase, the voice of the Alte Försterei, perhaps, <laughs> uh, as he also doubles up as the stadium announcer for Union Berlin. I'm talking, of course, about Christian Arbeit. Welcome to the podcast, Christian. How are you going? You all right? Hello. Yeah, thanks for having me. And uh, yeah, it's, it's quite nice to be here. So uh, yeah, let's jump in. Well, I mean, we offered you uh, a Berliner Pilsner when you got to the studio. Uh, Union's beer, obviously. Uh, we're recording in the week coming up to the uh, Berlin Derby. You're obviously, as well, a, a massive Union fan. Would you even dare drink a Kindle Hertha's beer? Is, <laughs> is that a beer that's just completely off table for you? <laughs> it's completely off table, but uh, simply I just don't like it. Uh, <laughs> it. It's not really my my taste. And uh, it was already before it was Hertha's official beer. So it's yeah. got nothing to do with that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll take your word for that. I'll take your word for that. Um, I mean, you've been press secretary since, I think, 2009. And in 2018, you became head of communications for Union, but you've been stadium announcer since, is it around 2006? Exactly, exactly. Yeah, so, I it was mean, winter, winter right. 2006. So yeah. Union then were, was it third tier or fourth tier? Uh, it was f- fourth, fourth tier, fourth because tier. I remember, yeah. I think 05, 06 was the season in the Oberliga, right? Yes, exactly. So, I mean, there were probably not as many people at Union as there is now. Um, How do you actually become stadium announcer? Stadium announcer for me seems like one of those jobs like being a mascot. There aren't actually many people who actually do this job in football. Um, How did you end up doing it? (laughs) Yeah, I was actually working for a big multiplex cinema chain in in Berlin. And... um you know, in 2005, we have to jump back in time because it was uh, the first time when, when there have been like experiments with uh, transmitting uh, live shows, concerts mm. and all that stuff into cinemas worldwide. It, it was a time when, it, when Robbie Williams was huge as hell, the biggest superstar on earth, and he played kind of a club show in Berlin yeah. at the Velodrome. So mm. 7,000 people, which was very, very small for him. Mm. That was transmitted all over the world, actually, as well in Berlin cinemas. One was the Zoo Palace uh, in, uh, you know, Charlottenburg. <laughs> and I was I was in charge for that event and that night. And it turned out that there was uh, a host needed in the cinema to welcome the audience to do kind of a quiz show thing and, mm. and talk about the sponsors and all that stuff. So we had prices and we had questions and everything, but there was no host there. And, and it was like, oh my God, who can do that? <laughs> And I just said, okay, before everyone goes mad, I just do that. And uh, I had people from Union. I knew them already. They've they've been working for the club. They've been in the audience. And they came to me afterwards and said, ah, you do those kind of things. We didn't know that. I said, I, I didn't know that <laughs> either. So, uh, yeah, but if you can do those things, uh, how about becoming the stadium announcer? And I was like, I mean, we've, we've got one. Yeah. So whenever I'm there, there is one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no. Mm-hmm. However, the club decided to choose another. Mm. And uh, I was like, uh, all right, I have to talk to my family. 
my kids and to some friends because I've been with all of them in the stadium mm. all the time. So yeah. just doing what we all do, you know, yeah. drinking beer, eating sausage, singing along, chanting, clapping hands and all that stuff. And yeah, then I came home and asked my kids first and they've been like, yeah, daddy, do that. <laughs> Sounds really great. So, oh, okay. You don't mind. I'm not with you anymore then in the stadium. No. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, and then uh, it started. So I guess you went to a lot of games up until that point, right? You've been a Berlin a Union fan for... Yeah, since uh, 1986, actually. So uh, I was 12 years old when the same old story started uh, that my father brought me into the stadium. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Actually, it was kind of a one-off thing for him because he was a Dixieland jazz musician. Uh, so he's always been playing little concerts uh, at the weekends. And if not, he was on his little sailing boat in uh, Copenhagen. Mm. Um, so uh, I don't really know how that happened. So he was... Kind of the typical East Berlin guy. You always check the papers on Monday latest. Uh, how did Union play? Mm. Oh, they won nice. Oh, they lost bad luck. So that was just it. So yeah. he was never a stadium guy. And on that very weekend in, I guess it was October 86, uh, somehow we've been at home in, in our flat in, in Friedrichshain and not at the waterside where the boat was. So actually we've been sitting at the table having lunch and, and then he said, hmm. I don't want to hang around the whole day in the flat. So let's check the papers. Maybe there's a football match. Somehow it was an Union <laughs> match day. So it, it was against uh, Frankfurt, but not the Eintracht. It was <laughs> forwards. And later on, I guess you just went on your own. You went with friends. Uh, did you have a season ticket? Ah, there wasn't such a thing like a season ticket in my remembrance uh, in the East German football. But yes, since that very day, I hardly missed one home game because it was like, it was completely fascinating for a little boy. And like it is for the most little boys, it wasn't really the passes and the shots on goal. It was actually a draw, 1-1. And I wasn't actually interested in football before anyway. Because yeah. <laughs> my whole childhood, bloody football, was kind of destroying my Saturday night because I always wanted to see Sesame Street at six yeah and then always my father was like okay you can see that the whole week on saturday i want to see sportschau so see the bundesliga ah. and i was like ah really on saturday are the best episodes of sesame street always <laughs> and anyway so yeah it, it was more the craziness of you know people in a stadium i never seen anything mm. like that before like Adult people jumping around, singing, clapping, swearing. And uh, that was kind of wild and, yeah, fascinating for a boy. Yeah, definitely. I mean, even my first trip to Union, I was a lot older, but, uh, you know, it just instantly catches you. So, yeah, I can fully imagine that from that day on, you were pretty much always always around. Yeah. Um, I mean, in the little over, what, yeah, 15 years ago, we mentioned Union were in the fourth tier. Yeah. I hear sort of a, a common argument for people who want to abolish the 50 plus one rule there. Mm -hmm. um, you know, smaller clubs need investment to become competitive. They need financial support. And uh, Union have managed to get to the Bundesliga without that, really. And um, can teams achieve what Union have done through, shall we say, good decision making? Do we overlook how effective good decision making can be when running a football club and that money's not actually going to solve everything? Yeah, actually, it looks like that good work can achieve a lot, you mm. know, because there are another examples in the Bundesliga, like the SC Freiburg, for instance. Uh, they did actually the same, just 
10, 15 years ago. So there are a club like we are as mm. well with, with no owners, everything inclusive in the club. So we, yeah, we, we always said it's not actually the construction of, uh, you know, how you organize the professional team if you separate it from the club or anything like that. Mm. It's the good work you do, the, like you said, the decisions you make. You need a little luck as well, <laughs> of course, you know. Yeah. And in the end, it's what we actually are very happy about because it's always better to be a good example for that than rather than just talking about it. I mean, I've been an Union fan since 2015 when I moved to Berlin. And so I've been lucky enough to see Union in a pretty successful period. But certainly, particularly in the season under Jens Keller, when we almost got promoted, ended up finishing fourth. Yeah. I was surprised that when I was speaking to a lot of fans that they weren't really that sure whether or not they wanted to get promoted. <laughs> they weren't sure how they felt about it. I think there was a general fear of losing what you'd built up due to the commercialization of the top tier. Can you understand why fans had those worries? And as a club, how do you go about making sure that you kind of, you're listening to what the fans are saying, you, the mood of the fans? Of course, we, we recognize that as well, especially that, you know, oh, ship, we're getting up, yeah. you know, sing along thing. And um, it was kind of a mixture. It, it was somehow ironic, but there was a little truth in it as yeah. well. Yeah. So, yeah, I felt that too. And uh, yes, imagine, I mean, it was not our situation, but imagine you would have a bigger stadium, mm. which is like half full uh, in the second division. Yeah. And you then think, oh, if we get promoted, then everyone's coming just because we are in the Bundesliga. They are mm. not coming because they know us already. or Maybe they're just coming to see the opposite team. Yeah. You know? That could really change a lot. In our case, it was like the stadium was sold out most of the time anyway, mm. even in the second division, the last two or three seasons. And it was quite clear there would be no more space for other people who can out of a sudden just turn yeah. up and just want to look how great it is, mm. you know, because that's the, you know, maybe we talk about that later, about the kind of the little secret for the atmosphere. Mm. So, and and then the other point was, we are still the same people, mm. you know. So the, the decision makers are the same since that season you, uh, you mentioned already. Yeah? We've been in the fourth tier mm. with the same president who is the president now. So it is with the executive board and all those people. So I was quite sure as a person in the club mm. that not just because we're on the Bundesliga now, the same people would make other decisions and everyone was like, oh, what the hell are they doing? Yeah, you know? yeah. And I guess, as you say, you kind of want to be an example. I always thought, yeah, I want Union to get promoted because I want other people or the fans or other clubs to see, ah, look, maybe it is possible to do things in another way, you mentioned Freiburg as well. You know, clubs like that in the Bundesliga, I think, might, just my personal opinion, it's better for the Bundesliga that they are in there. So why not join in? Absolutely. And, and it's quite nice to see them. If, I mean, if you compare that, let's say, to the Premier League, mm. you know, then you got the newly promoted teams. They're most of the times just struggling. And, mm. and it's, it's great how, how Freiburg managed to keep themselves most of the times quite far away from the danger of, of getting relegated. Mm. I mean, we are still pretty new in the Bundesliga. We, we managed that two times in a row as yeah. well. And, uh, looks quite nice this year as well. Just yeah. knock on wood, uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, that we uh, keep collecting points. But that's great to, to not just struggle against relegation, but to try to achieve more. 
Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, you mentioned the atmosphere there as well. I think you said once in an interview with Deutsche Welle that we have an all-standing stadium uh, as opposed to the almost all-seater stadiums uh, that we see now. It's all about pure football. I think you also described Union once as no-frills uh, <laughs> football. Um, there's clearly a vision about how football should be experienced. Uh, where does that come from? Is that from the fans? Is that a club decision? And how difficult has it been to kind of keep that now that you're in the top tier? Um, I guess the most important point is that there's no big difference between fans and club. And, yeah. and even if you see the decision makers in the club, then they are coming from the stands as well. So uh, it's kind of, we all seem to pretty much love the same way to enjoy football and not as a big, you know, a circus show with a halftime quiz show or a funny game on, on the pitch and a, a show act before a kickoff or whatever, just pure football. Mm. Just, we could just come there to, uh, to support the team. And uh, there was never a difference that someone wanted something else, you mm. know. It was like, uh, yeah, we've been uh, very close together and that, that we wanted that way, you know. Of course, there are elderly people, you know, we all grow older and, and we maybe reach the point, like my father is uh, 78 now, uh, mm. he just can't stand on the terraces uh, three hours <laughs> yeah. nowadays. So he's one of those guys. Who need a seat? So we've got some seats, but it will always be kind of the minimum requested by the by yeah. the DFL. Uh, even if we if we make it bigger sooner or later, mm. it, it will come. Then we will have you know uh, like round about thirty seven thousand uh, capacity. Mm compared to 22,000 now, then it will be 10,000 more standing terraces and 5,000 seats. Nice. And I mean, you mentioned, you said about pure football. I saw a tweet uh, earlier this year and it listed all of the goal music for all <laughs> of the clubs in the Bundesliga. And Union were the only club not to have any goal music. And then I was thinking about all the times that I've been to uh, games away with Union and the Zweite Bundesliga. And I was like, yeah, there's always goal music at all these clubs. And... As someone from England, I've got to say it's the thing that I hate the most about German football. I love German football um, and Union especially. So that was, I guess, one another reason why I like going to Union. But I mean, first of all, why is German football obsessed with goal music? And <laughs> why why did it never come to Union? Was that a conscious decision or it just kind of a, a happy accident? Uh, first of all, is it indeed so that, that there's no goal music in England? It's slowly starting to come in, oh, but really? it, okay. for a long, long time it really wasn't. And we're starting to see more and more now, but it's not at every ground, certainly right. nowhere near as what it is in Germany. All right. It, I mean, for me, I feel the same way like you. I, I just hate it. You know, it's, it's for me, it's really crazy. We are getting asked why we don't have one. <laughs> And I just don't understand how, what is it, what is the sense of it, you know? I mean, I never met someone who could not enjoy himself when his team scores a goal. Mm. So that's the easiest thing on earth to just freak out and be happy. The craziest thing is, and I experienced that already a few times, it takes ages until the music is over and the stadium announcer mm. announced the goal and, and all that stuff. And the good thing is, whenever I notice that, especially then because we scored an equalizer mm. before that was finished. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, no, really crazy. Actually, never, ever, I can't remember that it was a, 
special decision mm. about it. It just no one brought anything in like that, and uh, so yeah. Now it's kind of a special topic, and uh, you know, it's like a stadium name or so. Never someone will come up with that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I have to jump in here as also as a German person who was growing up with gold music in mostly every stadium. I mean, as a Frankfurt fan, I was going to Frankfurt. They had gold music. All the away games were in the Bundesliga or in the Zeitling Bundesliga. They had gold music, and I do like some of the gold musics in the Bundesliga. The Frankfurt one is decent. I even like the Mainz one. I like the Köln one. Some are pretty good jingles, uh, oh, the classic songs. Oh. I do, I do like them <laughs> when they come up. And I sometimes uh, have the music stuck a week before the game, I and mean, I'm already like, I hope we score a goal. Kind of like you know, you, sometimes on a great day you're walking around and you're you're having that in your head already. So I don't mind having the goal music, but I also I could enjoy a football match without Ex goal music. Actually, as I only hear a goal music when we play away, I hate every goal music because <laughs> it means... I think that's what it is. Yeah, absolutely. The, the other team scored a goal against us. Uh, I remember actually a game in Munich when they had different music... For different for, players? For different players. That was like when uh, Arjen Robben scored. It was like something tulips from Amsterdam or anything like that. And when Franck Ribéry scored, it was Au Champs-Élysées and all that stuff. So you could even, on the radio or wherever, you could notice who scored the yeah. goal because it was that special song or so. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right, that is too much for me. Yeah. I agree. See, that is absolutely stupid. Because as well, now you also now get the, the fact that you also start putting a light show into it as well. And I mean, it's, you know, where does it end? As you, as you say, I think hearing 20, 30, 40,000 people celebrating a goal, I don't know what's better than that. Yeah. So. Actually, the worst experience in my life with the goal music was when we played in the second Bundesliga and away game in Darmstadt and we lost 5 0. <laughs> And it was already their music, kind of their anthem before the game and their goal music. And maybe they played it even after the game. So I heard that <laughs> seven times on, on one day. It was like, shine. Maybe a great song, great fun song for them. Same in Cologne or anything. Funny songs. But I uh, no, for a goal of my team, I don't need the music. <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely. Just throw your beer into the air yeah. and, and freak out. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. We've mentioned Union sort of progressing through the leagues and, and you've been at the club now for, for a little while. How has your job changed at the club in that time? Is there anything in particular that you just, you never expected you would have to do? You know, what's been the biggest surprise for you throughout all of this? Well, actually, when I started, <laughs> it's funny to say that nowadays, so there was no, the smartphone wasn't, wasn't mm. there. And there was no social media and all. And if you compare it to these days, where it is like, if you don't look at your smartphone for five minutes, you start getting nervous. That's a change. I didn't see that coming. And uh, it changed a lot. Actually, in both ways. You have that kind of nowadays aggressive discussion culture. On the other side, you have a lot of possibilities as a club, as a person as well. Mm. To just communicate to the people and you don't have to ask a newspaper, would you please print when a public sale starts? Mm. No, you can just yeah. publish that <laughs> yourself. Yeah. And but I actually started when that still was uh, was not possible, yeah. you know. And uh, yeah, that's the I guess that's the biggest change. So you needed to be more friendly to the journalists back in the days. Yes, that's true. I actually 
still try to be very friendly. <laughs> and, and to be honest, especially in Berlin, lots of them are still the same. So uh, we are developing through the times together. <laughs> I mean, as, as head of communications now, what is your role in, in sort of making sure the players are prepared for their media commitment particularly you know are they advised on how to behave on social media and <laughs> uh, what to say in interviews in that respect i guess the for me the most important thing is to make them feel somehow f feel good about themselves mm. how, how, so it's not that i want to see them as kind of artificial puppets who just communicate boring sentences yeah. about whatever if a, a player has followers on social media then the followers want to know him somehow mm. somehow personally you know uh, however that is possible but it's somehow possible so yeah it's more like to make them feel free in a good way yeah. to say listen guys you are unyona now mm. so that means We are a bunch of, a wild bunch of crazy and very different people. Just follow some normal rules like don't blame your teammates for anything. Just if you don't play, don't let the coach know you're not satisfied via Instagram. Yeah. Just knock on his door and go in there. All that stuff. So it's not that difficult, actually. And, and they can have a personal opinion. And yeah, we can discuss later on about, you know, what's the expectation of a certain public, how to behave as a player. And uh, isn't it good from time to time to say, mm, they're not just role models, they're just normal people as well. They, they can just play football, maybe yeah. better than someone else. So why should they advise me about going to vote or whatever, any other topic in, in life? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, so I guess in that case, you don't need any... Uh special rules for particular players, let's say Max Cruiser or someone. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you sign someone like Max Cruiser, that's a good example, you know. If you sign a guy like Max Cruiser, then you know already when you sign him, okay, this guy is a crazy guy in a, in a very good way. Mm. He's an artist on the pitch and he needs... You know, he needs free space and what he does on Instagram, I would never do that in my personal life, but it's his way to yeah. express himself. And I knew from the beginning and we all knew that if we start to, if we want to change that, then we would take his strengths on the pitch away as well. Yeah, Because you know? yeah. it's like telling him, oh, Nutella is not very good for professional sportsmen. Ah, oh, tell me something new. He, <laughs> he, he actually knows that, yeah. you know, he still likes it. He still eats it. And we don't come to him and say... Don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> so then maybe the next sponsorship for Union, trying to get a tie-in with Nutella, maybe? Yeah, why not? <laughs> uh, one other question. I mean, you don't have to put too many rules on your players, I guess. I mean, there haven't been too many scandals from Union players, but is it sometimes the other way around that you have to motivate players? There is a shooting. We need you. Please, you have not been in pictures for a long time. We kind of want you. Yeah, that's the bigger problem, you know, because it's like there are players who really don't like getting asked the same stuff all the time. So for players, it's not that much to say about a game, especially straight after the game or during the week. So from time to time, it's like they come up and ask, oh, really? Why me again? I was like, you, you haven't been there for four weeks. <laughs> yeah, but there are so many others. Yeah, they've been there during the, those four weeks. Oh, really? Yes. So it's as well not a really big problem. But yeah, from time to time, you have to say, okay, it would be great if you could do that and there's a there's a commitment that we don't discuss that on match day on match day we go there and say okay it's you 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 and you you do the tv slots and the and the mix zone but please no discussion on a match day 
as always, there there are there is an exception if you really if you really say no 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 please please just let me out for whatever reason because I don't know you scored the most spectacular own goal hmm. or whatever I rather take him out before I even talk to him about hmm. that you know but sometimes it's like you know when when a good example Andreas Lute in the match in the home game against Rotterdam yeah you know when he made that horrible mistake I just go to him and but he's an adult guy very calm and and he was like yeah no problem I can talk about that absolutely no problem. Because I have to talk about it anyway. If not today, then tomorrow. Yeah, so best get it out of the way, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, going back to the club uh, on the whole, uh, having been around the lower leagues and now in the Bundesliga, do you feel there's anything that other Bundesliga clubs could learn from those in the lower leagues that perhaps I don't know, maybe things that they aren't aware of or that they've forgotten, or you know, either to help themselves run better, or maybe more importantly, to help support lower tier football clubs more. Uh, that's quite difficult. What what I personally learned is that every club is somehow special and especially related to the place where where it belongs to and right. to the people. Hmm. And uh, it's not quite easy to say there's something that every club could learn. You know, hmm. it's like the most important thing that every club should learn is to take care about the, the own roots and the people who carry the club and not look too much what other clubs do. I think... If if a club is very close together in itself, the people know each other, uh, they trust each other, then it's a good position for being successful. So always go for a local beer and a local bratwurst. Yeah, try that and uh, support your, your local surroundings. There's always a lot of stuff you can do. You don't even need very much money for that. But take care for the people around your club. And I mean, for us, it's another thing that that's maybe a bit special because the stadium and the players' cabin in the stadium is their everyday cabin because the training ground is just behind the stadium mm. terraces. So they are there every day. We are not coming to the stadium just every two weeks to play a game there. It's it's our home somehow. And it's the home of the executive board of the president as well. So. I always say, getting asked about what does that family thing mean. Every club says that, you know, just come to our parking lot in the morning. Yeah, on the one side is the stadium, on the other side is the old Forester's Lodge, the mm. Alte Försterei, and just stay there for eight hours. And at the end of the day, you would have met the head coach, the players, the president, me, everyone. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and you can just talk to everyone. Just go there and say hello and ask your question or bring your suggestion in. You know? mm. I mean, more in terms of how maybe clubs work together. Union President Dirk Zingler uh, said recently that he planned to talk to UEFA because uh, in the hopes of introducing a rule change regarding uh, letting teams play their home games in European competitions uh, in the ground allowed by the country's uh, football association. We had the, you know, the ludicrous spectacle in the Conference League playoff. Neither Union nor Cups played their home game in their actual home stadium. As a club, how do you go about trying to change something at that level? How do clubs work together behind the scenes to try and bring something to the attention of UEFA? Or is it just, well, it's UEFA, they're not going to do anything, what's the point? <laughs> yeah, funny, funny thing is, first of all, we, we try to do it in a way we think that might be possible, you know? Mm. So reaching a, a European competition and actually then realising, all right, they are introducing a new competition for smaller clubs and and all that stuff, but the the rules for that lead to that situation. Mm. You know that that Coop said to play like a few hundred kilometers away from Kupio in Helsinki, mm. and okay for us it was just thirty kilometers, but 
anyway, it was a strange journey. So why that? So we just wrote a letter, first of all, you know. Dear Mr. Severin, hello. <laughs> uh, nice to meet you. We are happy to to uh, enter the competition. And here's our first suggestion. <laughs> <laughs> and guess what? Nobody was kind of waiting for us and saying, ah, there you are finally. So what's your first suggestion? Mm. So uh, anyway, still, we believe in communication, you know, yeah. and saying, if you don't say what you like, who, who could take care about it? But uh, we said, you know, you're doing so many campaigns for diversity. How about the diversity of football? Why don't you follow the national rules if standing terraces, for instance, mm. Are allowed in Germany. Just let us play there. Yeah. What's the problem? You know. And yes, of course, we talk to other clubs as well. So let's say the voice of um, Borussia Dortmund or Bayern Munich in the UEFA structures yeah. is a bit more powerful than ours. Yeah. <laughs> we don't know why, but <laughs> no, no, uh, just joking. Uh, yeah, of course it is like that. You know, they're regularly taking part and all that stuff. So yeah, we're talking to them as well, and we see them. Let's take Borussia Dortmund. It's a topic for them as well, because yeah. their, you know, Gelbevan, yellow wall thing in their stadium, it costs them a lot every home game to put seats in there. Mm. And uh, yeah, it's, they would be happy to change that as well. So we are, we are working on that, but, you know, it's it might take some time. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine, I can imagine. And then on a more sort of national level, trying to get changes from the DFL or the DFB. I mean, how much communication then is there between all the clubs in the Bundesliga? Do you find that... Clubs are willing to listen to ideas and problems that maybe don't necessarily affect them or they wouldn't really directly benefit from? Yeah, actually, what we experienced as well, mm. everything changes once you are a Bundesliga club. Right. Because it was like, if you see that on Saturday, it feels like, ah, that's the support and that's the main act, you know? Mm. And and yes, of course, if, you, if you're successful, that, that's always the same. If you're successful in the Bundesliga, you will be heard. Mm more than being not successful in the second Bundesliga. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, the DFL actually is the 36 club of, yeah. of the Bundesliga and the second Bundesliga. And they meet in person or in video conferences many times a year. Mm. And they discuss things, you know. And uh, it's not a anonymous organization. It's like the people sit in there and one club, one voice. Yeah. So discussion is possible and is necessary. And not all the times... It seems for us the perfect decision, but mm. from time to time, there is one good. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think that current setup, the way that it currently works in German football, works well? Or do you think maybe as a club that, hey, maybe things should work or function a little bit differently? You know, that I guess there's nothing in the world that couldn't be better than it is, yeah, true. <laughs> actually. And uh, yeah, I mean... There have been good times now, many years with uh, Christian Seifert on, mm. uh, as the head of, uh, of the DFL. There's a change now and some things will be new. And uh, we will see what's new, what's getting better, what, what can be even improved uh, compared to the last years. It's like what, what we've seen already is there's no endless money in the market. Mm. You know, the, the TV rights now are not as expensive as they've been already. But that's all things you can you can handle if you discuss them openly and i mean there are decisions uh, to be made even in the in the next years and mm. and uh, we made you know a few years ago we we published a, 
a huge paper, strategy paper for what our ideas for German football. So some of them are on the way. Some are not discussed yet, like Germany's a big country. How about increasing the, the top leagues to 20, like in England, in France, in Spain, in Italy? Why not? Because there are so many traditional clubs, big clubs who are playing in the second or third league now. It could could help. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I remember when Union published that and there were a lot of good points within that. You, I mean, have you been pretty happy with the, how far you've come with that? I mean, I guess when you wrote it, you probably didn't think, well, we're going to get everything from this, but you kind of calculate, well, if we we get 50% we might be okay it was somehow it, it was like we always want people to know what we stand for and it takes it takes long but if you don't start you will never change anything first of all is make your point what are your ideas why do you think this could help german football why do you think 50 plus one is a good rule compared to other markets to other leagues so why, why is it worth saving it and all that stuff And then you can try to somehow, you know, convince people that it might be a good decision to to keep that, for, yeah. for instance. Yeah, definitely. Just looking at you personally, I'm just curious, uh, what does the average day look like as a head of communications <laughs> at a Bundesliga club? Is there such a thing as an average day? Um, yes, but not this season. <laughs> it was like the average day, it's like, The most important thing is you can never be sure that there's nothing to do anymore today. Right. Because <laughs> it just can drop off out of a sudden at 10.30 in the night. Yeah. Or at 2.30 in the night. <laughs> yeah. So, so you better have some passion for your job. It's not a 9 to 5 job. It's No, no, no. Uh, actually, it, it's not at all a 9 to 5 job. And I can just say that for me, because I'm working for my club, you know, I can hardly imagine to do the same job for another club. But actually, I see... Some guys from other clubs now working for other clubs. And I always ask them, sometimes I meet them there and say, listen, you can't stand here with this jacket because you belong to this other club. And then they, they smile. Yeah. And, and I can't imagine that for my, uh, my journey. For me, it, it's the, you know, the, the basic ground where I stand on is that this is my club. Yeah. With regards to, I guess, clubs in general. I want to talk very quickly just about um, sort of social responsibility, maybe in a, in a little way. I mean, next year uh, we have a World Cup in Qatar. Uh, it's a country in which homosexual acts um, are banned under several Qatari laws. You know, you can face anywhere between a, a year and a decade uh, in prison. Um, since 2011, it's been calculated that nearly 7,000 South Asian migrant workers have died, the majority of which have been in the country due to the World Cup being in Qatar. Um, should Bundesliga clubs be maybe putting pressure on the DFB to raise awareness about this? For example, the Danish FA actually came out this week and have said that their team's commercial partners aren't going to participate in doing any uh, commercial activities in Qatar unless it's activist or part of a critical dialogue. Um, they're only going to stay at places where the labour rights have been respected and uh, they're going to put human rights messages on their training kit instead of the normal commercial sponsors and so on. Do you expect the DFB to do anything about this? Do, is, is this something that clubs are trying to um, make the DFB aware of? Oh, that, that's really... A difficult uh, topic because if I go back in the decades, I remember actually now I, I go back very far. You know, the, I guess the World Cup in Argentina '78, yeah, took place in a country with a military junta, yeah, uh, and uh, maybe it helped Argentina to get over it. But it's difficult to say what 
leads to what? I read a lot about all these things you mentioned. And on the other hand side, I read that Qatar maybe is of all the, you know, Emirate states, maybe it, it seems like Qatar is the most progressive one. Mm. So how can we support a development and show the people that it's worth to make progress? And yeah, to answer your question, yes, of course, I, I would like to see the DFB relating to all these topics and make a clear stand and, and have a clear position. But it would be interesting what actually in detail, what what would I dream of they mm. could do, you know? I hope we, we can just discuss that. There There's some months to go. And uh, yeah, of course, I, I'd like to believe, I don't know if, if, if I'm naive, but I'd like to believe that big sport events like Olympic Games, like the Football World Cup, can help to push things forward into more freedom, more choices for the people to live their life uh, without pressure, to end poverty and slavery. I don't know it's a, if, if that's anyhow possible, and it's a big dream, but I still want to believe because I have actually not many other ideas what else could put the eyes of the world onto that situation there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I guess, I mean... Everyone watches the World Cup, really. It is the most watched sporting event in the world, I think. It's probably one of the few times when everyone can maybe look at a country and say, is it okay that we're actually even having a sporting event here? Yeah, the question is, is it better to not put the eyes of the world on the situation there? Who, who would care about Qatar or the situation in the Emirates States if there, there wasn't a, a World Cup? there next year you know i guess no one would care about that but now we have we have fans we have uh, federations we have countries who somehow get in focused on that and maybe if it helps and i don't know how long it takes maybe it, it's it, i heard thomas hitzelberger say that the world cup in russia uh, didn't make russia more democratic maybe it's too early to say that mm. actually we recently or earlier this month we had an australian footballer Josh Cavallo he came out as uh, what I believe to be the only openly gay footballer in the top flight of football in in the entire world and in contrast I think you know more than I think there's more than 40 lesbian or bisexual players that played at the women's world cup so it seems to be a problem that there's more to do with male football than, than perhaps female football I know players have actually tried to do stuff. You know, back in February, Max Cruiser and Christopher Trimmel were involved in a Elf Winder campaign. Actually, the uh, whole team signed that. Yeah, uh, you know, the, uh, it was under the motto "You can count on us," yeah. saying that you know, if a player does want to discuss their sexuality, then you know, we're fully behind you. What could fans then be doing to maybe help create an atmosphere that, if someone wants to, I'm not saying we should be outing, you know, any gay footballer, but if someone wants to come out uh, and say or discuss their sexuality that they feel comfortable in doing so how, how would the fans maybe go about creating that environment or do clubs have more of the responsibility to try and create that environment because you've got such a big platform within the media well when i talk to football players about it then they always say the most important surrounding for them is the cabin and other teammates and uh, regarding fans i mean it's 2021 And I can absolutely not imagine that there's something coming from the stands against a gay player. What should that be? You know, mm. I, I, I guess this time I hope I, I'm not completely wrong or or naive. And but but I can't believe that because whenever you talk 
even to the most traditional football fans with their, you know, patches on, on their waistcoat and, and all that stuff, they say, yeah, I don't care. Just, yeah, let, mm. let him be gay. Don't, no problem for me. Because um, I don't hear those swear words against, you know, referees anymore. And yeah. I I think that's why the, this campaign was so important. Yeah. Uh, and, and I liked it a lot. And I, and I liked actually that our team signed before I even knew about the campaign. Because... Uh, They, they did that. Christopher Trimble introduced it to the team. Yeah. They all signed that. There was no push from the from the club to say, "Would you please do this or that?" It was just done mm. without, without making a big deal of it. So that was great, great to experience that. And um, I think it wouldn't be a big deal on the terraces. I mean, you you mentioned that. I mean, I, I get you know, racism and, and homophobia aren't the same thing, but you mm. know, they're very much a discrimination. We have unfortunately seen and heard racism from uh, the stands in recent years within German football. Mm -hmm. I mean, do you think there's a, a problem still with racism in football that, that and ultimately also could maybe show why there could also be homophobia as well there? Or uh, Yeah, I don't say there's no problem with those things because, yeah, sure, we have homophobia and racism in the society, so we have it in football as well. Yeah. It's not like we have it in football and that's a problem of the football. Yeah, It's a problem of football, of music, of our society. Still there. Let's take our own example, you know, our home game against Maccabi Haifa. Yeah. Have you been there? The Olympia Stadium. Yeah, yeah, yeah I was yeah. there, yeah, yeah. So if you would describe the atmosphere, how was it? Oh, it was brilliant. I thought Haifa fans were great, Union fans were, were great. Um, it was really, really enjoyable. So so we did everything possible. We had a stadium announcer for them and the team got applauded when they left after the match and yeah. all that stuff. The guys from Haifa, the, the club officials after the game said they never felt so welcome in a foreign country like on that very day mm. and it was for them i know that be because i've i've I, i've seen the very first person of them entering the olympic stadium the first question was where did he stand mm. and 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 I, i knew on the spot what he meant it was the left hand side that's yeah. so all right and they said thank you so much for having us and and giving us a, such a warm welcome and then the day after what was the talking about it, it was anti-semitic you know, uh, the abuse. behavior. Yeah, there was abuse from of, a fan. Of, yeah. of a handful of people. I, I fucking hate that things like that happen. Mm. And I I can't understand how, what what's going on in the, in the heads of those idiots. Yeah. I can't say any other word. Yeah. But we, we always should as well see the way we've come mm. and what we achieved already. So compare the racism nowadays of idiots who like talking in an individual way maybe to the the terraces doing those monkey shouts in in the early 90s yeah so or throwing bananas or all that stuff that that was horrible if you see those pictures now it was horrible you know we all want that it goes faster yeah But you think it's moving in the right direction? I, I it's think, just going to take a while. I think it's moving and it's our, we are all in charge to make it faster. But we should not give in because we are not finished yet. Yeah. So there's yeah. a way to go. But we are going that way. We're all together. And I guess we finally make 
racism and homophobia and anti-Semitism something that's that's gone hopefully and uh, it's something important for my opinion you know Bundesliga football at Union is still affordable for everyone it's important to to keep the society somehow together at our stadium it is kind of a melting pot for people I don't know if in any other circumstance they they would meet like they meet on on our terraces that helps to fight racism or homophobia in groups of people that that I could not reach easily if they are not in contact with me anymore. So that that's still important, I think. Absolutely, absolutely. No, it's a fair point. It's a fair point. Let's finish on something positive. Um, it's not often that you see the press officer also operating as the club stadium announcer, <laughs> stadium announcer on on match days. What is it that you enjoy the most about? being uh, the stadium announcer is it I mean does it cause problems on what's a busy match day or is it just the best part of the job <laughs> ah that's a good question but if if I think about it now it, it feels like it's really the best part of the job because everyone else knows I can't do anything else <laughs> <laughs> at that very moment so you've got a good excuse so I've got a good excuse for many things I've got a good team around me, so it would otherwise it wouldn't be possible. And uh, so thanks everyone uh, who's listening now and, <laughs> and knows who is meant. The very moment when you go onto the pitch, few seconds before you even say something, yeah, just breathe, just look. First people notice you before you're on the screen. Yeah. That's the greatest moment. I was going to say for me, just to be able to experience like being on the pitch and hearing a full stadium sing. I mean, I, I couldn't imagine anything better than that, really. Uh, absolutely. I it's remember true. when we got promoted against Stuttgart, there was a pitch invasion, went down onto the pitch and was sort of looking around the stands. Like, <laughs> it's such a completely different way of looking and absolutely. experiencing the stadium. So, yeah, just hearing that from that position must be amazing. Remember the, the, the very first Bundesliga game against Leipzig then? It was a horrible defeat. Yeah. It was like rolled over by a train. I was sitting there at my position right beside the pitch uh, and was saying to my colleague Petra, it was like, oh gosh, I, I just hope that it's not this time every match now. <laughs> and, and then, you know, before I say normally say goodbye to the people before everyone leaves, I went onto the pitch and they didn't stop singing for like 15 minutes. It was the singing, singing. It was. It got louder and louder by every time. It was like, well, it brings you. It still brings me to tears. That, that, that was genuinely one of the. I mean, it's up there in probably the top five things that I've experienced in a stadium. That the way it just constantly went on and went on. It it was unbelievable. And absolutely, it, it was stuff like that that I realized. Well, that's that's why I come here all the time. You absolutely. Know? A couple of, just a very quick few of the questions. Do you have to stand in front of the mirror at all practicing surnames? There's still surnames that I've heard over the past five, six years that I couldn't pronounce at all. <laughs> and I'm not doing it in front of 22,000 other people. <laughs> well, no, I, I don't do much rehearsal and I, and I don't even you know, write down notes or anything. I just check the, the, the lineups an hour before the kickoff. Sometimes I see something on it and I say, oh, okay, I better ask the press officer from the opposite team how to say that. And other way as well, we had players like Steven Skripsky. Yeah. And I knew if I don't go there on my own, if we play an away game, yeah. if I don't go there and tell them how to, to pronounce that, <laughs> then something really crazy will be come up Stibitsky and, and all that stuff. So we heard, heard a lot of, of that. So we help each other. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, what's the most embarrassing thing that's happened to you as a stadium announcer? Anything spring to mind? Most embarrassing thing is if if there's a technical problem. 
so with, with a microphone and you are interrupted or something is not working anymore so, because you stand there yeah everyone's looking at you and it's just okay you can't <laughs> can't hear that now i was just you know mucking christian up the, was miming there that nothing was so working <laughs> nothing's coming out and and then you just hope please fix it quickly <laughs> <laughs> so you got you got no plans to quit as well <laughs> you can see this going on for I guess age isn't really important for for this job. <laughs> yeah, actually uh as long as my my voice is strong enough to do that I <laughs> I, I try to do that. Excellent. Well, I hope you stick around for a good number of years. Christian, thank you very, very much for sitting down and talking to us. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much for the invitation. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Mirko, for chipping in. No problem. Didn't have to do too much. Um, and, and thank you as well for listening. We'll be back in a couple of weeks with our normal monthly Bundesliga roundup. If this is your first time listening, then uh, you can find us on Spotify, uh, Apple Podcasts, uh, wherever you find your podcasts, all that normal kind of stuff. Uh, and you can give us a follow on Twitter. Twitter at uh, bully underscore diaries. Thanks again, and we'll see you next month. 